Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022, the day before Thanksgiving. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, yesterday, President Joe Biden announced that he was extending the emergency that allowed him to suspend all student loan payments in the United States. What What is the emergency, particularly on a day when uh, Anthony Fauci came to the White House podium and decla- effectively declared as his swan song performance that uh, we didn't have much to fear from COVID this winter. Uh, how exactly is an emergency uh, still being claimed? By the way, we're still under a COVID emergency because that that also extends to March. I don't know. What is it? May? I June. Think that the June. June. Oh, good. It's a political emergency, not a not a public health emergency at this point. Um, or it's constituent service, right? Because he ran and they they did well with the youth vote, and they think that this is how you pay off the fact that they weren't, you know, completely hammered and slaughtered in the in the midterm elections. Uh, but it's um, I, I mean, you know, I, I I don't like the use of the term banana republic because this isn't a banana republic is mostly about you know like paying off, you know, individual, just running a a corrupt regime for the purposes of somebody's cronies. And, you know, this is tens of millions of people uh, who are, who are being, who are essentially being uh, serviced here. Um, So I don't think it's a banana Republic thing, but it is, it is flouting the constitution in a way that is a complete violation of anybody's oath to, um, to change law by fiat uh, and claim that that is due to an emergency that doesn't exist. Well, and can we talk about the precedent here? His justification was, well, while we wait for the Supreme Court to judge to judge this in our favor, we're just going to go ahead and, and completely abuse the executive authority's power and give you what you want. And then maybe they'll slap us down like they have done with so many other of these uh, political and, and power overreaches by the Biden administration. But that's fine. This is not a good precedent. This is not this is not a good precedent. I just want to recall the the other maddening thing about this, um, which is that uh, the line is supposed to be that um, the right and Republicans have politicized the pandemic. Uh, they are the ones that that don't accept the science, but they use the pandemic for all sorts of, you know, other uh, to 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 stir up trouble and advance causes that they care about and hurt ones that they don't, and so on. It is so such an egregious abuse of power for a national emergency to be used to um, justify a policy rather than the other way around. That the policy just or the emergency should justify the policy. This in this case, the policy justifies the emergency. It is transparently lawless. The administration's admitting it's apparent transparently lawless, in part because it's an effort to get around a court ruling they didn't like. Um, and we know exactly how the right or how the Democrats would respond when the right did this, because the right did it all four months, four years ago. Donald Trump declared an emergency at the border that did not exist. It was not justified by the statistics. It was treated like it was the Reichstag fire. 
And I'm not going to say that Republicans were especially great at boxing in the administration when it abused its authority. But we saw 12 Senate Republicans revolt, join Democrats in voting to strip the president of the emergency powers that he had assumed for himself, extra constitutionally, extra legally. Can you even envision, can you imagine such a rebuke from Democrats? Uh, they have established for themselves this, this mantle as defenders of democracy. And when pressed, they're nowhere to be found. Well, let's unpack this a little bit because what Biden has done here is fascinating, right? He uh, declares an executive action, says he has the power to do this under the HEROES Act to, uh, you know, I mean, to uh, to do what he was going to do with loan payment, to student loan payments, right? So they then say, ah, no one's going to have standing to sue. Who's harmed? You know, you, you need to find someone who's harmed by this and they haven't found standing. Okay. So two or three suits were filed and uh, eventually somebody somebody was deemed appropriate to have standing and the policy was stayed. Um, imagine in the reverse. So Biden is now saying, now nah, that whole thing that was just nonsense. We don't we don't, you know, the courts don't have a the courts don't have the power of review here, you know, not since though since 1803 the courts have had the power of this kind of review and if they've said okay, well this policy has been put in place and uh they could either say well the policy can continue uh until, you know, a, 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 an actual finding. But of course you mostly do that when something is already extant. So a policy is in place and is being effectuated, and then somebody you know goes to a, a court and says, "Please stop this; it's unconstitutional." And a court says, "Okay, well, uh, I think that you have an argument that needs to be heard by a court in full." But you know the wheels of the wheels of government are already moving here. We're not just going to like throw a you know we're not just going to throw a stick in the spokes and 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 crash you know crash the bicycle or the car go on until until it can stop because everything is moved this hasn't started yet student loan forgiveness hasn't begun it was it was um incepted as a as a possible policy by biden all at once with no review by any other body not the legislature and not the courts and now he's saying I'm not going to follow any of that procedure. I just, whatever, you know, if the courts had found for us, then we could have gone right. on and Explicitly. done whatever we wanted. Well, you know, and it isn't even the same policy. It's a little right? different. It's a little it's bit, not it's, the same but it's policy. the same violation of the constitution. So the president, if, if just, and just like the border wall situation, you declare an emergency to move money around that's unappropriated by Congress. That's what the, the raid on the treasury was for the student loan forgiveness. Now, what this is a moratorium on student loan pay payments isn't exactly the same thing. Not at all. But he linked them. But, he linked them. But no, it is it is similar insofar as Treasury Department is still issuing loans. It's still paying the debt on the loans it incurs. This is unappropriated money. Congress has not appropriated this money. It is the same violation in that sense. I'm just saying he I'm not saying that saying that loans don't have to be repaid because there's an emergency is the same policy as student debt forgiveness. Biden said it. 
It's like he gave the game away. It's like, I want credit for the policy that I put in place, which is you're not going to have to pay back your student loans. Well, right. He but wants I can't the do credit. that yet because that hasn't happened yet. So I'm just going to keep making Temporarily sure you don't have to you pay your loans right. until I can forgive all your loans. Well, and again, like imagine this idea that there's no harm caused here. First of all, you know, if people are not repaying their loans, that's money that's not being uh, paid back. That That's going to affect, have macroeconomic effects down the line. But what about all the people who are not benefiting from this policy? This is such a transparent payoff to the educated uh, sort of Democratic elite voter these days that it, it, it infuriates me. If Donald Trump had started saying, you know, any... I don't know. Say there's some MAGA plumbers union. If he'd said, you know, the MAGA plumbers union, I'm going to just insist that you not have to pay the credit card bills that you've accrued to buy the tools that you use for your job, because it's unfair. You know, you're in an emergency. You're there's all these reasons why I can justify this. There would have been an absolute uproar. And, and as Noah said, there was an uproar over his overreach in other arenas. But in this case, this is such a classist bit of posturing by Biden. <laughs> Mr. Lunch Pale Joe, as you can see, I become enraged when I start start <laughs> I spiral. I'm sorry, I'm spiraling. Um, also, there's the whole like Thanksgiving prep spiral. But this is <laughs> and, and by the way, we need to introduce Noah next time as the turkey whisperer because he's he's creating a beautiful, perfect turkey tomorrow. Yes, you are, Noah. Um, but this is an it's the, it's the hypocrisy of a Democratic Party's leader pretending that this is something that's going to help a vast majority of people when it's really just a very narrowly tailored payoff to people who already actually are making more than most Americans make it a year. You know, okay, you know, what, stri- I, go ahead, you know what strikes me now, though, is like, so is this the game now that that on the, among Democrats just going to find ways to give away, give away, give away stuff? Um, you're going to do it by executive order where you can, to declare emergencies where you can. You're not going to try to even make the pretense of good arguments, which is something Obama used to try to do. I don't think he made a lot of good arguments, but 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 he acted as if he as if, as if there were good arguments and that he was making them. And he, of course, knew them and you just didn't know them. Um, this is just OK, this we're we're we're, we're just going to get in. We're just going to we are the sort of party of loopholes to give you things. There's a there's a longer form piece to write there, Abe, because and I can't think of any examples, but you're right. The power of the atrophying of their the their capacity to argue their position is noticeable and accelerating yeah. and i can't think of any others but that's absolutely true but i want to go back to obama i want to go back to obama because you know the basically we'll give we you now have three we now have it, three yeah. lawless presidencies in a row and there was an effort to claim that the bush uh, presidency was lawless because of the theory of the unitary executive and the, the arrogation of powers that uh, that the president didn't have. But in every case there, in every case during the Bush presidency, which was so alarming to people who thought that he was exceeding his writ, um, uh, there were there were very hard and sustained constitutional arguments about why this was right. It, these things were submitted to courts. And if the court said no, there was no complaint, like, you know, it's okay. Like, okay. Obama loses control of Congress in 2010 and, uh, you know, faints at working with Republicans. And then I don't quite remember what time he said, we can't wait. You remember that was his phrase. We can't wait. Washington is broken because it doesn't do what I want it to do. We can't I, wait. I have a pen and a phone, and I am going to do 
what I can do. And he then behaved lawlessly. The dreamers, the dream act uh, was the, was the, that was the biggest, right? So actually, okay. So I'm I'm looking into this now. It was way before 2014, October, 2011, which had to do with recess appointments. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. He challenged. Yeah. He challenged, he tried to recess appointments. Are in the I mean that is literally yeah. in in the Constitution. It's in, but it's the Senate in, can can return and say no, you can't, and that's what that's what he was doing. It was, he was saying no, the you know the Senate can't have its advice and consent role. Um. So so pen and a phone, and this I, I, it's just very important to say this this was the crossing of a Rubicon, Obama because. Everybody always thinks that the other party plays fast and loose and is, you know, is like extending and doing terrible things and it's terrible. He basically embraced the idea that because the Republican Party or the conservative movement was illegitimate, his efforts on behalf of policy were therefore justified in a Kantian sense, right? I mean, they were justified by the virtue of the policy itself and not and and therefore the system that would prevent the policy from going into place needed to be circumvented for in in the name of the higher good which i'm sure he believed and he thought you know he thought that his particularly with the dreamers that he was doing the lord's work okay I, you know he was there's incredible injustice to this group of people and that something needed to be done to help them then we move on to Trump and Trump basically is like Trump doesn't know from anything and he doesn't care about systems and processes. And his presumption is that you that you, you go around the law just as a matter of general principle as you conduct your business. And so he basically was like, I want to do this. You make it possible. Right. So the that was the first week of the Trump administration was. Uh, what what happened, you know, at the airports with the uh, Muslim ban. And um, but even there, I don't want to give Trump credit that he doesn't deserve, but there was an argument being made that the 1952 National Security Act gave the president almost unlimited uh, ability, you know, sort of, I don't know what you not powers, but that the president's ability to protect the national interest from at at the borders was paramount and there wasn't a lot in the law to to say that he couldn't do what he wanted to do now eventually that was overridden by the notion that you can't selectively enforce a ban on people from one place or another in the way that he was on the basis of their faith but he was using an arguable proposition in no, but so that take that administration, but then there was a lot of other lawlessnesses and things that Trump did, and now we have Biden who isn't even pretending. I mean, this there is not even a pretense here that there is that this is something except for a promise that he made, and it would be nice for people not to have to pay back their student loans. There, there, no pretense is being made. We're not like seeing briefings by the Justice Department or the White House Counsel's Office explaining the constitutionality of this, except for this absolutely bone-breaking argument that the HEROES Act, which was about making sure that people who went into the military 
to serve their country after 9-11 didn't have to service their student loans while they were fighting and dying in Afghanistan and in Iraq somehow was now going to apply to what is it 25 million people 40 million i don't even know how many people have loans it's it's in the tens of millions that and he points out that businesses got loans during the pandemic which this is not an argument no because businesses got loans during the pandemic because a law was passed they yes were, yeah and they were forced the, to for close the down. For the first the first and 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 what's more i i hate this argument so much i hate this argument so much because why did we why did the united states give businesses ppa loans in order to prevent a situation in which 70% of the country was out of work so it was the privatization of the unemployment insurance system it's like we'll give you money you'll pay your employees if you can prove that you paid your employees with this money after a year, we will forgive your loan. If you can't, we're going to come after you. You're going to have to pay it back. Now, maybe that was a hope rather than experience. Like, you know, maybe it was hard to enforce that. Oh, and there was massive was fraud. Not to be yeah. I'm and sure there was, there was massive, massive fraud. fraud in this. No, I mean, was, I'm sure yeah, there was yeah. massive fraud. To the tune of but... $200 billion. No, the IG, yeah. the DOJ IG has, has talked about this. It was an invitation yeah. to fraud in his words. That's his direct quote. Right. But, but. There was there. This was considered by Congress, passed by Congress, signed by the president, and it had an overarching purpose that was national consensus. First of all, legislation means national consensus, right? That's how we judge that there is a consensus on something, not that one party wants it or something. But this generally was. I mean, I don't know how many votes were there against the the first um, COVID relief package. I don't. I have to look that up, but I mean, it was you but, know wildly you know, bipartisan. But you know what's dis what's distinct about the student loan repayment rhetoric throughout the Democratic Party, but especially from the Biden administration, is that you know we've all been talking about the the sham that is so called effective altruism. You know, given the cryptocurrency collapse uh, and this guy who clearly was using this rhetoric in order to cover over his absolute corruption and greed. And his funding of the Democratic Party, who was supposed to be regulating him. But anyway, that's another topic for discussion. But the I, I've noticed that when Biden and his um, uh, representatives talk about this, it's in the language. It's more they use moral language. It's like we want to do the right thing to help people who, who, through no fault of their own, evidently, took out these massive student loans and can't repay them. So for them, I actually think the details don't matter because they really do truly feel like they are doing the right thing here. The government should not force people who willingly took out money that they you know borrowed money, knowing the terms, knowing they would have to repay it, knowing they would pay interest on that loan. I think they feel like, well, it's just not fair. It's like when you hear them say, well, it's just not fair that some people are millionaires or billionaires. It's just not fair. We have to fix that. So they're, it's actually they're making a moral argument about a very political issue. And so that's why they don't care about the details. They really don't. Here, if you tug on that thread, you probably find that they don't think a, a lot of our the capitalist system uh, and usury and interest is is actually uh, uh, morally justified. They would probably have very few limiting principles right. to that line of argument. Except for the federal deficit. That's fine. We can just okay, but we can borrow and borrow. For I want to stipulate that there is merit in the idea that the student loan system has been a fraud perpetrated on the American people. Oh, this absolutely. is where it gets yeah. really complicated because we have privileged 
college degrees. We have, as a society, we have elevated jobs that do not require people to have a four-year, you know, post-secondary education. Uh, now they all do, uh, or you know, all these jobs that aren't that aren't simply you know working class physical labor jobs, and they are that you know sort of three generations of it should be your dream to be a lawyer it should be your dream to have a call you know all of that stuff and you get 70 percent of the country that at any given moment is having some form of higher education and 30 percent end up with degrees something like that maybe it's higher now maybe it's 35 percent for a long time it was like solidly in the high 20s despite the student loan system. So people were borrowing money, going to college, and then they they couldn't hack it or they they needed to go to work for their families or whatever it was. The being out of the workforce for four years was impossible for them. And then they were stuck with these loans that were of absolutely no use to them. They had borrowed money to do something that they that that provided them very little benefit. That is a kind of countrywide elite conspiracy against an enormous number of people it's not an intentional conspiracy it's a kind of overhang of a lot of different things uh and you know if biden and these people were serious they would follow the logic and rhetoric of people like marco rubio and others who have said we need to rethink the way education is done in this country after high school we need to look at a one-year or a two-year training degree as though it were the exact same as a four-year liberal arts degree or better. But they overthink it too because what they're after is social engineering on their own side. They want their own social engineering. What this market needs is signals. This is a wildly distorted marketplace. You've introduced a third party into the system that distorts the price of education to the degree that nobody knows what the price of education is anymore. And everybody is, is a conspiracy of interest to make sure that nobody will ever know what the price of education should be. To reintroduce some sort of a price mechanism here, maybe you get better outcomes. But it gets it's more complicated than that, even because you have this whole architecture in place to validate credentialism now. Um, in in a way that responds to to you know that is is the sort of is the mate of this whole um, uh, uh, higher education system. If if we were, I mean, it's so far we're so far past this now. But if we were still dealing with some sort of apprenticeship model, you know, where people could actually get into professions um, and have sort of dynamic careers without wasting all this time and money, um, uh, and 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 could instead. Sort of study under people learn under people work their way into a into a into a a, a career um that that's all gone now there, there there's a there's a whole economy that exists to justify but that's the disaster why that the price distortions the, the are there yeah. that's why the price distortions are there in the first place the growth of higher education is driven almost entirely not exclusively but almost entirely by non-faculty administrators all of right. these people right. who are administering the studies the studies departments that have ballooned in scope beyond the degree to which is justified by any well, rational and enforcing, interpretation enforcing of the federal regulation on campus. Well, that too, is that, the, that the is the big thing. Yeah. Compliance and non-faculty admit. Right. Yeah. But even if you even if you took that out of the equation, the fact is that people in America are made to believe that they need 
college educations. And of course, we all have college educations and Christina's a PhD and we're all, you know, all of that. And I can say right now, there's no reason for the college for college educations at a liberal arts level to be four years. They could be three. They could be two. Everybody knows this. Everybody who has ever gone to university knows this. There's no reason for law school to be three years. It could be two or one. Because in the end, when you go to law school and then you go to a law firm, what you learn at the law firm is how to be a lawyer. And what you learn at law school is the theory of law. And how many people in how many people who graduate from law school and then go off to be a lawyer actually need theory of law? A lot of people that we know, a lot of people who write about the law and are going to go into, you know, clerk and like go into legal theory and maybe become judges and all of that and even write law, you know, help write law in the Congress. They need to know theory of law. Lawyers don't. Business schools are two years. They could also be one. There's a lot of talk about that. But business school, which is actually about getting people to go into business, they sort of understand, you know, there's only so much you could want these people to pay. And then you got to get them off and doing practical work. Everybody knows this. And it's all atavistic. Why, why is a college education four years? Because it's always been four years. When I was at college, when I went to the University of Chicago, the first two years of the University of Chicago were mostly core courses. Very, very few electives. You had you had core courses in the sciences and in the humanities and in social science and in and in, you know, so almost two years and civilizations. And then so since that was the way it was structured, the next two years were where you dealt with your concentration and you dealt, you know, you delved into your major. Almost no schools, including Chicago, have this now. Columbia has a little bit, but there was a whole theory. Like you go to college, you get this grounding in the first two years, and then you and then you specialize in the in the in the last two years. And that so that system no longer exists. You go to college and you pick electives mostly all four years. You could do that for two and get your diploma like you know, like the scarecrow, pin the diploma on your chest, and now you're an educated person. It's all a scam. Speaking of something that is not a scam, I'd like to talk to you guys about Bolin Branch, uh, our advertiser today, uh, one of our advertisers today. The holidays, most exciting time of year. And you know what? You know what would be a fantastic thing to do? Give people the gift of Bowl and Branch sheets, the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets on earth, made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads, they make a difference you can truly feel night after night. They're made differently, so you can sleep better at night. Finest 100% organic cotton, free from toxins, pesticides, and harsh chemicals at every step of its making, made by artisans who earn the pay and respect they deserve. Designs and colors for every bedroom style and mattress size. These all-season sheets have an unmatched softness to start and get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bowling Grats gives you a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all orders, including your gift orders. Because the signature sheets come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. Your gifts will look as special as they feel. An unboxing experience they'll never forget on the holiday. So this Black Friday, give the gift of a better night's sleep with Bowling Branch. Get 25% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code commentary at B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. Promo code commentary. Offer ends. November 27th. Um, 
Let's talk about how the world is more complicated than ideologues want it to be. Vol, you know, case number eight billion seven hundred and fifty million four hundred and twenty-two thousand two hundred and eleven. Uh, the horrible shooting at the Q Club in uh, in in Colorado Springs. Uh, shooter was taken into custody. Uh, his name is either Aldrich Anderson or Anderson Aldrich. Uh, apparently, though, that is not actually his birth name. Uh, he changed it at the age of 16 for reasons nobody yet knows. Horribly troubled childhood. His mother uh, was arrested for at one point when he was very little for tying herself up. Um, literally, she tied herself up. I don't know how people do this. And was sort of found on her bed. She called, you know, she called the cops. She said someone came and tied her up in her house. She calls the cops. And then she acknowledged that she had done it to herself because she was lonely. She's been in the court system. She's apparently has substance abuse problems. Uh, and we know uh, that he uh, last year had uh, become known to Colorado Springs authorities because he had threatened to bomb her. Um, so, of course, shooting at a Gay nightclub, we're told that this is obviously a hate crime uh, due to Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, and our disinformation reporting crew at NBC and other places is like, why aren't people, why are people just saying it's open season on trans people, and blah, 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 and uh, guess who's non-binary? Uh, he, uh, he uh, his lawyer showed up in court, said he must be referred to as they, with they, them pronouns, and his name is MX. Aldrich is referred to as MX instead of Mr. or, or, or Miss. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, this story is now a lot more complicated. It's not open and shut. Thank you for my priors. Everything is fulfilling what I wanted to fulfill. We've been talking about this like all week. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it again gets to the point where horrible human tragedies and monstrous evil acts by definition are um extreme and out of out of the ordinary thank god they're sort of they're they're not ordinary they don't conform to the you know they don't conform to your expectations and this is yet another case of that so the utility of this crime in this larger effort to discredit the very real and very serious worries and fears that people have that uh, children in particular are being mutilated uh, without uh, are being mutilated by uh, uh, so a social change and a social contagion that tells them that their feelings of worthlessness or, or, you know, or uh, dis extreme discomfort with their bodies or stuff like that are to be matched by, going under the knife and having irreversible things done to them, that this concern, which is totally, I would say, conventional, and the mind reels at the horror of doing this to somebody who doesn't, you know, isn't, hasn't attained a majority and doesn't have full rights over their body or something like that, uh, that you're then going to try to say anybody who thinks this is now responsible for the murders of people in a club where there was a drag show going on which, by the way, isn't even trans. Drag is not trans, and it's very important to stipulate the difference. Drag is a performative thing in which men dress up as women in order for complicated reasons, and this is not... They do not alter their bodies. 
Uh, they are they are play acting. Yeah, it's uh, gender okay. minstrel minstrelsy. Exactly. Very very well put. Anyway, so that's that's my that's the end of my rant. Please, guys, you talk while I <laughs> okay. You know, so cool off. Allow me the runway to dunk all over these people. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> we were treated to nothing as sophisticated as scapegoating over the last 24, 48 hours. Um, but it's being dressed up as something very sophisticated. There's an effort on the part of um, people in the press, particularly the, the disinformation reporting crew, who are um, a malign presence in our, uh, in our journalistic environment at this stage. Uh, <clears throat> and they were um, essentially blaming this on conservatives. Conservatives made this guy go into a gay club and kill a lot of people. Um, and But they... They didn't say it in a term as crass as that. They used um, language that seems superficially authoritative. They called it stochastic terrorism. This is something that's been bubbling up in our discourse for a couple of weeks. It's sort of really, <clears throat> according to what I was reading, it originally it was popularized initially after Sarah Palin was accused of inspiring a schizophrenic to attempt the murder of Gabrielle Giffords. It somehow retains its credibility after that dubious origin story. It um, was deployed after the attack on Paul Pelosi, uh, used by, in particular, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez jumped out in front of it, likened it, as she does, to her own experiences, saying that she's get when she gets death threats, it is specifically, use the word specifically, at the feet of Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson makes this happen. And, you know, you can go through the, the, uh, the literature around this to justify this claim. This claim, this word, this phrase, stochastic terrorism, its entire virtue, exclusively and explicitly, is that it is polysyllabic. It, it has superficial, pseudo-academic value. It <clears throat> renders its users uh, capable of navigating the academy. It's the lingua franca of the academy. And the people who are using it are malignant dimwits. And I use those words very specifically, quite unlike them. They're idiots because they have been allowed themselves to be bamboozled by the rhetorical equivalent of stripper glitter. And they're malignant because they're they off the hook for their loans. Now they're doing so to criminalize argumentation. OK, wait, I have to stop because I, I really think we want to put stripper glitter on our list of potential merchandisable phrases. For yes, this podcast. stripper glitter. But everybody yes. should read. Uh, Noah's written an awesome piece that's on the commentary website that kind of goes into detail about this stochastic terrorism rhetoric. And it's it's great. Everyone should read it. It's also like I, I, I'm shocked by uh, when when things happen, when when there is sort of right wing motivated violence against people, you often hear, you know, the right wing extreme uh, extreme right wing is much more violent. We see this and, and their their politicians endorse this idea. Well, here's an example where the idea that this is being sanctioned at the very highest levels of the Democratic Party, this argument that if if someone who is mentally ill or for whatever reason, because we don't yet know this guy's motivation, that's the point we should stop, pause, wait till we have more information. But the people who rush to judgment and lay it at the feet of a Tucker Carlson or someone who doesn't think their four-year-old should have to watch a, a drag show at, at their elementary school, Nancy Pelosi did that too. She immediately released released a statement saying that it's right-wing extremists who are targeting transgender Americans' fundamental rights, MAGA Republicans, they're openly bullying school children. I mean, it hits every single every single point you would imagine a kind of an extreme sort of rhetorician would use to have blanket guilt imposed on an entire on half the country. Half the country tends to vote conservative or Republican. And that's what she did. She immediately did that before we know anything about the details of this of this particular episode. They Tragic. always do I, that. I've got a, 
I just just to link this for in a serious way to the first part of the of our discussion, first part of the podcast here. Social science academia literally exists to churn out theories like this that that advance these arguments that justify certain policies. It is a closed loop that exists to create some pseudo intellectual ballast for bad left-wing liberal ideas it's literally a contradictory phrase the two words contradict themselves in in the definitional sense what stochastic, stochastic terrorism? terrorism right we were talking about this earlier yes <laughs> the, the well, definition let, of well ventilate ventilate upon this because just it's, that the it's definition of stochastic is, which is a word that no one actually uses in day-to-day parlance well that's very important like can i that's can the I whole just, point sounds of it. like you're clearing okay, your but, you throat know your, you your stripper it, glitter so. <laughs> your stripper glitter so i mean christine stochastic, knows better stochastic stripper knows glitter, better than John. we do because she actually you know labored in the fields of academe and got through a phd but so um as an editor you know i i in the course of my almost 40 years editing uh, at various different types of journals, at you know newspapers, at weekly magazines, at this magazine and others. Of course, I've read hundreds, if not thousands, of articles. Often, some of them by social science people and all of that. And um, and the the more academic they are, the more incomprehensible they are. And when I say incomprehensible, I mean, look, I I read you know I read Kant. I read, you know, my 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 poor daughter is now tra- struggling through Pascal's Pensées uh, right now at college, and she sort of reminded me that Pascal is unreadable. Like, one spends time in university, going back to university, reading unreadable things and trying to make, trying to pull out the meanings of them, like translate them into ordinary English. But of course, that's Pascal. Like, you're reading one of the greatest thinkers who ever lived, not some assistant professor at Wayne State. Uh, who is desperate for tenure, you know, um, and and the thing about these things is that they would use words. You know, I have a very large vocabulary. They would use words I did not know constantly, and the words were all nonsense words. My favorite one, and maybe you can think of my favorite one, was praxis. This is a praxis. I, st- I, I at this moment. Having looked up praxis 20 times in the course of my life, I still don't remember what praxis means. It, 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 practice works just as well. It's like, it, like behavior. It's the <clears> process <throat> by which theory yeah. becomes an actionable thing, right? They should just say practice, but yeah. praxis sounds right. cooler, okay. right? But like, <laughs> I think if you went to JSTOR, which is the online academic sort of nexus lexus, right? And you search the word praxis, you would have you would hit twenty five thousand different articles, and praxis is just one of a million words like that. And so the minute that I see a word, you know, like stochastic, as somebody again who has edited tabloid newspaper language, you know, uh, quarterly, monthly, weekly, all this, and I see a word that I don't know, and I am on my immediate my bullshit detector goes way off because if so- I haven't seen it. It's not a real word. This is the thing, though. So in academia for for decades, these words have been deployed uh, to deliberately obscure the fact that a lot of the academics using them don't actually have a clear idea or a clear argument to make, right? So it's like, let me just put all this stuff in front of you, throw this at you, and while you wade through what these terms actually mean, when you finally get to the core, you realize, oh, there's no there there. 
But what's in, what's more pernicious about its use now in the broad left-leaning mainstream media is that it's being invoked to deliberately mislead. And ironically, often by so-called misinformation, disinformation reporting teams at places like NBC News. So they are actually using this deliberately to obscure what, in fact, the facts might reveal down the line. And that's more pernicious than just, I don't have a great idea, but I'm going to throw these words out there because that'll help me get tenure. And honestly, you're far more likely to see that kind of academic, pardon my uh, language, bullshit from an assistant professor at Harvard trying to get tenure than at someone at Wayne State University, in my experience. Uh, that was really snobbish of me, by the way, to say Wayne State. I'm which just is, by the way, now which is which is which is which is you University know, of South perfectly... Florida graduate here. Is yeah, no, no, I, 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 I actually I feel bad about 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 doing that, and I'm I, I apologize to everybody at Wayne State or whoever got a degree at Wayne State. That Wayne State did not deserve that. I oh, should have made were, up a you school, you know, Pasquaxi State or something. What you were arguing against pretension? I am arguing against pretension. Yes. exactly. Yes. So I so but I think, you know, you say that they're deliberately doing it, but of course they're not deliberately doing it because it's in the name of a higher truth. All of this is in the name of a higher truth. We know that trans people are being targeted as never before, which, of course, is insane since anyone who, you know, tried to do this kind of thing discovered, uh, you know, in the 1950s uh, on a on a street in New York would have been beaten practically to death and the cops wouldn't have intervened like this whole notion oh it's so terrible what's being done to you know in a world in which this has now become considered acceptable and even maybe noble and all of that this then to claim that things are worse for such people rather than better um i'll or, give you a reason which i don't example. think is necessarily better because it's a double-edged sword it's i don't a- think it's good that there's social acceptance of a lot of this because it then draws people who otherwise would work through the difficulties that they're having and not get consumed with this idea that there is some semi-divine salvation to be found in claiming that you are not what you essentially are, which is no escape and no release. It's the opposite. It's a trap. It's a psychic, spiritual, and moral trap that people are now being, you know, literally walk into this trap. I'll give you a recent example of this tendency where social contagion leads uh, the right-thinking people to tell lies in the name of a greater truth. 2018, I wrote about it. 2018, Reuters Thompson, uh, Thompson Reuters Foundation surveyed 550 specialists in the field of women's issues and found that the United States now ranks in the top 10 of the most dangerous places on the planet Earth for women. It ranked alongside Afghanistan and Syria and Somalia and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Nigeria. Why? Because it was right at the height of the Me Too movement. And it was the right thing to do was to suggest that the United States had become an an untenable place for women that justified that 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 was akin to places that have state sanctioned rape campaigns that uh, impose uh, uh, headscarves on women and dress codes and won't let you drive. I mean, this is the sort of thing that experts talk themselves into the foundation itself when it wrote this up you could tell it was very embarrassed by its own findings but it had no choice those were the findings this was what the elite consensus was that whether or not this was true or not was beside the point to say it was true advanced a particular narrative and rendered those who were saying it was true on the right side of history you know i don't think we actually answered the 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 point or like uh, ventilated on the point of why stochastic terrorism is itself an oxymoron 
So I think we need to because we promised that like 10 minutes ago and then we then stochastic we, we is random. It means randomness. Right. Right. Terrorism is by definition the least random act on earth. Now, the victims may be random in the sense that terrorism targets, you know, uh doesn't care terrorists don't care who they kill and they're going after they're 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 they use sort of randomness as a as a as a as a weapon of fear. But terrorism has a very specific purpose always. There is no there is no such thing as random terrorism. Terrorism is an effort to strike at something, to make a point about something. Um, it is the least random crime on earth. And so you literally calling something random terrorism is itself self, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine. Terrorists have a specific purpose in mind. They target something and they strike it to say this thing that I have that I have struck is evil. And I am going at it and making sure that anyone who wants to do something like this in the future or be so, that no nowhere is safe for them uh, because, you know, uh, there are people here who will go after them. And we, by the way, do have a horrible not random terrorist event took place in Israel today to uh, very uh, unnerving because it's um, it's the first time since uh, 2016 that there was an actual uh, street bombing uh, in Israel. It's like, imagine that it's been six and a half years in a country that had them randomly, you know, like randomly had them, had them, you know, routinely almost um, over the course of uh, the previous uh, 40 or 50 Um but uh, it's very much like a second intifada bomb because there were two bombs placed in different places, and uh, and so there. Th this was a coordinated strike, obviously by people who were. It's they, they then call this a complex act of terrorism rather than you know somebody blowing themselves up with a with a vest or something like that or stabbing somebody on a bus, and uh, the and the the injury toll is very high. And guess what? It's not random. Again, the victims or the whoever was on the bus at the time were standing at the bus stop at the time, so they they are they are not chosen, but the target is the state of Israel and the target is the domestic peace in the state of Israel and uh, seeking to sort of foment more tensions while Israel is trying to form a new government. Anyway, that's it's not random. So so it's the equivalent of saying price point, when all you really <laughs> have to say is price. Well, it's not no, because it would be the obvious. It's like saying, I don't know, it's like saying, uh, you know, sunny darkness or, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, what what is a classic oxymoron? I can't even think of what it would be. But, you know, the very fact that people like don't stop and say, you know, this what I just said was preposterous and bullshit. Like you can't have stochastic terrorism like that, that alone you know, is uh, I'm sorry, that's three. That's three. That's three uses of the BS term in three minutes and we're just uh you know we're losing it okay let's take a break and hear from uh two uh really wonderful sponsors that we're happy to have with us do you know only one in three americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights that's why fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all americans no matter where you're from or what you believe the foundation for individual rights and expression or fire knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.fire.org. 
thefire.org. There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Whom can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Acton Unwind comes in, just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Acton Institute. There's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Acton Unwind. Every Monday, you'll hear from host Eric Cohn and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating that the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as we promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org slash commentary, or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash commentary to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. Thanksgiving is upon us. Uh, I uh, recorded, I do another podcast, did a podcast before we started this one uh, with Jonah Goldberg and Rob Long called Glop Culture. And I I managed, I mentioned at the end of Glop Culture that I, I don't like turkey. And Rob and Jonah very piously attacked me, said I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong not to like turkey and how dare I. And it's just because I haven't cooked it right. And, and you know, you need to cook it better and all of that. And I, I, I told uh, my colleagues here uh, that this had happened and uh, they very, you were very supportive. You were very supportive of my anti-Turkey stance. Uh, and yet, Noah, you you are in the midst of defrosting a bird that is apparently the size of a small, small cargo. It's like plane. a Dodge, maybe a Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's roughly the equivalent of the trunk of my second born kid. Uh, <laughs> it's it's that big. And I am I'm cooking for only like six adults i had in my head that we had many more people coming i don't know what i was thinking but whatever i got it been thawing it out for five days i've never done this before it's very intimidating but yeah we're halfway through the no we're, we're fully through the freezing uh, the, the thawing process and now it's dry brining and covering it in butter and cooking it for eight hours it'll be a, an ordeal and then at the end everybody will have one slice and i'll have a whole bunch of turkey and my wife's like well we'll just have to distribute the turkey throughout the neighborhood everybody's going to have the exact same problem. We're all going to be swimming in Turkey. We don't want Turkey chili, Noah. Turkey chili is the answer. Yeah, super chili. That's the only only solution, I think. But but you don't actually like Turkey. I don't, and I don't know a lot of people who do. I I mean, it's it's symbolic. It's sort of like the ritual slaughter of our native bird. So so it's, you know, it's 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 an offering to the secular gods of Americanism. But I don't really love it. I mean, it's just something you have once a year because you're supposed to. Christine, do you like turkey? No, and I've actually, I've spent more than a decade making turkey. So, and I've tried everything. I, I've tried like the Chez Panisse special 48-hour brine. It was still, it was, it was not bad. Uh, I've tried the dry brine. I've, tr- I've tried everything. It's still a dry, flavorless, chewy, 
thing that you want to just oh, drown then, in gravy and other stuff. So and no, then everybody I, so, will jump out of the woodwork. You're just not making it right. You right. just no, I've tried. Right. I've, you I've gotta fry tried it. Six yeah. ways. Yeah, I've I've had the yeah. deep fried turkey too. I have a friend who went. In, I, I I've tried the turducken because I'm from the south. So I've tried it all, and I'm still like, nah, not for turkey. And I will say and, this year, yeah, this year I am not having turkey. We're having we're having family friends, and the uh, the husband of um, our family friends is a phenomenal cook. And he took a poll, see, democracy in action. Unlike Joe Biden, he didn't unilaterally by fiat declare no turkey. He asked us all our opinions and the kids weighed in too. And we were all like, let's try something else. So we're doing all the traditional Thanksgiving sides. I'm baking a ton of pies, but we will be eating some other meat that he has spent several days preparing. And I am so excited for it. So departing from tradition. If you want to make, you know, I have this theory that if you want to make um, anything worse, you put social before it, like. If you want to make science worse, make it social science. Social media is worse than social media. Uh, anyway, that's Hayek. Yeah, uh, you're right. Um, if you want to make something worse, make it a turkey version. <laughs> a turkey burger, turkey burger, turkey bacon. Turkey, bacon, it's true. turkey, turkey chili is not as good turkey as pepperoni. Now, yeah. what about cold cut <laughs> turkey? What about smoked turkey cold cuts? Or my I'm daughter okay with loves that. I'm okay honey with turkey. Uh, my dog eats turkey, turkey too. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. Okay. But you want to compare turkey pastrami to pastrami? I don't think so. Yeah. But a cold fair, cut fair. has That's an entirely true. different texture than cooked turkey. If you try yeah. to like thin shave a cooked turkey, yeah. you're going to yeah. get turkey shavings. Yes. My so view. A very different process yes. there. So my view of turkey is that it is the only food that I can think of that works on me actively like a diuretic. It's like you eat it and then my ma after I eat it, all of the moisture has been sucked out of my mouth. I don't know. It's not you have only to salt dry. the heck out of it to get yeah. to get any flavor. Yeah. That's but the, it's not yeah. only dry, but it's contagious. The dryness, the dryness affects that which is around it. Like if you eat turkey with the stuffing, and the stuffing is, of course, the opposite of dry, if it is at all edible, um, and it dry. It, as you're eating it, if you put them in your mouth together, it dries the stuffing out. I don't know how it works. I, you know, all of that. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, Jews always have a solution to this problem, by the way, which is just you, you you make it, but then you also have a brisket. Wherever you are, you have a brisket and you can have a And I don't really like brisket either that much, by the way. But it is, but it is like a, you know, it's like if you have anything... And you have a brisket. So then you have two things and most people will go for the brisket. So having attacked Turkey, I do want to say that, of course, this is, I think, almost everybody's favorite holiday of the year. Or one of the favorite holidays of the year, not only because of the gathering of family, because of the larger meaning of, of gratitude for what we have gratitude to be living in this country, to have been born in this country or to have come to this country. And I, I feel that every, every year. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, all the more, all the more so at a, at a time when, uh, at a time when we have, um, uh, politicians of both parties and ideologues in both parties who just seem to make their bones and raise their money and all that crapping all over the United States of America. And I hate it on people who are nominally on my own side. And I loathe it on people who are not on my own side. And I think that it's like the classic thing about people who are complaining about the enlightenment 250 years after the enlightenment, while they do it on a computer that wouldn't exist without the enlightenment. And they do it, you know, they do it sending emails to each other 
through devices that would not exist without the enlightenment and 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 the and the massive human progress that was created by the new way of thinking about the earth that led us from as Jonah Goldberg you know as another Deidre McCluskey and everybody else points out you know this world in which from pretty pretty much from the uh from the time of Christ to 1800 people on the planet earth lived on $3 a day. And there was literally no economic growth for 1800 years. And then, and then you just look at this chart that shows what has happened since 1800. And even people are, have no gratitude about that. They have no gratitude about that. They have no gratitude about their own bounty. They just sit there and sort of, you know, ignorantly act as though, what they have is just something they can bank and then they can, you know, sort of like stand on the, you know, can stand on the shoulders of, 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 of these great changes and great men and great thinkers and all of that, and then try to destroy their legacy, even as they're standing on their shoulders. So I'm very grateful to be here. That's all I can say. And I'm grateful to our listeners. I'm grateful to all of you for uh, putting up with us, and I, 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 I'm lost in wonderment at how many people listen to us every day. Because, uh, you know, I've I have three kids, and they roll their eyes when I talk too much. So, I'm very grateful to have somewhere to go where I don't get eyes rolled at me, except by knowing Christine and Gabe. Sometimes we roll our eyes with love, though, John. It's always with love. <laughs> Anyway, happy Thanksgiving. We're we're taking a break tomorrow and Friday, and we'll be back on Monday. So for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.